0: If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just want to talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. Oh God, we have opened your word now to Isaiah 65, and we today get to read this incredible vision that the prophet Isaiah laid before your people, that he still lays before your people. Open our hearts and minds, oh God, to what you say to us today and to how you are at work in this world even still. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's hear the Word of God, beginning in verse 17. This is Isaiah giving the Word of the Lord. The Lord says, "'For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight.'" I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer, while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. And so we say, thanks be to God. What a beautiful word we find here in Isaiah 65. Isaiah holds together so many pieces of how God is moving in the world. Most Bible scholars actually talk about first, second, and third Isaiah because this material in Isaiah, it spans about 200 years, actually more than 200 years. We, we have a prophet, or three, <laughs> whose difficult task is to speak a word of warning and judgment to God's people, Isaiah warned Israel's corrupt leaders that their rebellion would come at a cost. Now, what was their rebellion? Their rebellion was very specific, twofold rebellion, rampant idolatry, and then oppression of the poor to enrich the powerful. That was their rebellion. Isaiah preached that without repentance, God would be forced to bring a purifying judgment through the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Hope stirred, though, in spite of all that, hope that God would still bless all the families of the earth through God's people. But their rebellion was making things a lot more complicated. To put it very simply, they were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. That's what the problem was. They just weren't doing it. 39 chapters explain, "'Because you continue to run after these little gods, and because you continue to oppress the poor to enrich the powerful, a purifying fire is coming.'" Isaiah sows a lot of seeds about some kind of a messianic figure, the one that we call a savior. He begins also early on to talk about this new Jerusalem, a place of justice and peace for all nations, not just for God's people. The consistent message here is you will be saved by repentance that turns from idolatry and oppression of the poor and by a trust that recognizes only the power of God to save and heal. A hundred years pass. We find out Isaiah was right. He was telling the truth. The Babylonian exile has begun and we start to wonder how then do God's people live faithfully in a time of exile. What does hope look like when you've been put out of your home and driven to some foreign land? What does hope look like when nothing is as good as it used to be? Isaiah gives an answer. He says, remember the mighty acts of God. Remember them. He says, trust God. And he says, keep on turning from your wickedness. Keep on repenting, turning from it, Isaiah says to all of us, now is the time to stretch those muscles of hope. We come then to chapter 40. God says, the exile is over. It's been 59 years, 200 years since Isaiah started talking to us. Finally, God says, okay, people, go home. You can go home to Jerusalem. What do the people do? Do they celebrate and rejoice? No, they don't celebrate and rejoice. They do not. They complain and they fuss. Oh, they complain and fuss so much. They blame God for neglect and abandonment, although their purifying judgment was self-inflicted. Isaiah, ever the creative preacher, he, he puts God on trial in a very long passage so that God can explain how he has been at work through all of it. But the people don't listen. They don't listen to that. It's too long, too much to read, too much to listen to. They won't listen. They continue to run after other gods, other leaders who promise wealth and prosperity, other false prophets who major on the minors and minor on the majors. Even though even though the way home is wide open, the people won't go home. In a stunning move, God declares them unqualified to be his servants any longer. We then hear the prophet, something new must come if God's promises are to be kept, if God is to bless all the families of the earth, to make of Abraham and Sarah a great nation, if God is going to make all things right like God promised to do, something new must come. Something new must emerge from all of this. What is it? What is it? Who is it? Who is this new? (laughs) We have the benefit of hindsight. We know Isaiah is talking about Jesus. That's the one Isaiah is talking about with soaring poems and beautiful passages that just marvel at the majesty of this Messiah who is coming to save not only the people of Israel, but also the whole World. Isaiah names him God's servant. Those who believe in God's servant. You are now God's family, through whom God will bless all the families of the earth, through whom God is making all things new. This King Jesus is strange and different, though. He takes the form not of a king, but of a lowly servant. He suffers, he dies at the hands of those who should know better. Then he lives again, stubbornly declaring us right with God and daring the devil to do anything about it. Isaiah says, when all of this happens, we will have two choices. One, be his servants and follow him. Or two, remain with the wicked, those who continue to put all sorts of things in God's place and oppress the poor to enrich the powerful. For 200 years, the Isaiahs spoke warning, judgment, and hope in the midst of a world in full-blown crisis. They called the people to a changed life. They comforted them while they were in exile. They sent them home, and then they confronted them with a fierce hope which required something of them. I was really struggling this week to put some some relevant meat on these bones of this sermon until I heard our own Jeffrey Laporte, that's Amy Phelps' son, I heard him preach a sermon for his seminary preaching class on Monday. We recorded his and Sally's upstairs in the youth room over there. And uh, my goodness, he used this same text. He was assigned this same text. And he just blew my mind as he unpacked this thing. He asked this question Where have we seen anything even remotely like this exile? Where have we seen anything like this? Do you remember a little thing called a pandemic? Do y'all, anybody remember a pandemic? You remember that? Yeah. Before that thing, any tangible crisis seemed always to be at arm's length for most of us. Now, we've dealt with endless political crises since 1776. We've had occasional terrorism. We've had some wars, and some of you have been involved closely with those. But in 2019, we're all having to wear masks. We can't go to work. Schools are closing. Churches are shuttered. People wanting to give us shots all the time. Somebody, somebody in the midst of that pulled back the curtain on society, and we were stunned to discover that none of the emperors had any clothes on. All of our beloved institutions failed us. Church, school, media, government, even Walmart. Everything just fell apart, and we went home until we couldn't stand it anymore. Do you remember those days? All we could think to do was to buy toilet paper and freeze hamburger meat. Do you remember that? Oh, my goodness, how scary it was. We went into exile. It was not 59 years. Bless our hearts that we act like it was. (laughs) I don't think it was God's judgment, but it was hard. People died. We buried a bunch of them right here. Families fell apart. The suffering was real, and it still is. Everything got turned upside down, and God's people didn't know what to do. Isaiah spoke into an exile much deeper than ours, but the message still rings true. He said, turn away from the idols, turn away from the things and the people you think will save you, turn away from the oppression of the poor, turn to God who has promised to love you, who has promised to bless the world through you and to make all things right. Isaiah said, God will raise up one who will save us and make the whole world new once and for all. Put your hope to work. That's what Isaiah said in the midst of an exile. In chapter 65, Isaiah paints this beautiful picture of a new Jerusalem. This is the pinnacle of the new creation which God is building in Jesus. Isaiah reminds us that the real crisis which God's people face today, the real crisis which we face today, is whether we will turn away from the idol of hopelessness which requires nothing from us but to complain, fuss, blame, and ignore the plight of the poor, whether we'll turn from all of that in order to embrace the great hope that we find in Jesus. Somebody said, well, preacher, what do you mean hopelessness requires nothing of us? It sure takes a lot out of us, and it does. It takes a whole lot out of us. But all that hopelessness re- requires is that you waller in it. <laughs> that you just waller in it while ignoring the very purpose of your life. Hope, on the other hand, is a choice you make each day. It requires work, faith in Jesus, and the decision to actively love and bless the world with the grace of God working in and around us. Chapter 65, the Lord says, For I am about to create a new earth and new heavens, I am about to create the city of God as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in my city and delight in its people. That's you. That's you. Are you a delight to God? Are you a joy to this hurting world all around us? Are we living in that place where there is no more weeping, distress, no death, no injustice, no oppression of the poor? If you build a house, he says, you'll live in it. If you plant a vineyard, you'll get to eat from it. You will not work in vain. You will not bear children for suffering. They will be blessed by the Lord. Before they call, I will answer. The Lord says, while they're talking, I'm listening, the Lord says. This vision stirs even the hardest heart. Church, Jesus has already started building the new Jerusalem The foundation was laid on the cross and its first story was built with the stones of the empty tomb. The exile, not COVID-19, the exile of our sin is over. It is over. God says, come home from your Babylon, whatever that Babylon is. The question we all must answer is, this time, this time, our time, will God's people, will we complain fuss and blame worshipping at the idol of hopelessness so as to excuse ourselves from the work which lies ahead or will we stretch those muscles of hope so we can work for that thing that we're always teaching our children to pray thy kingdom come thy will be done what's that next part on earth as it is in heaven thank you on earth as it is in heaven today right now O God, help us to answer well and to mean it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may the people of God say, Amen.